Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is The Daily DC. Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast, my big takeaways from Iowa. First and foremost, Iowa is always important, obviously. It is the kickoff state, provides momentum for candidates that do well or best expectations, and it ends candidacies that underperform and don't get out of the box to even head on to New Hampshire. This much has been true through decades of presidential politics. We know that. But one thing spending four days in Iowa that I that I came away from all my conversations with is a sense that Iowa may be playing an even imp- more important role this cycle than it has in the past. And here's why. It's because of one of Joe Biden's, the, the Democratic frontrunner's biggest strengths right now in this contest is that Democratic voters and even in the Iowa polling, Democratic caucus goers believe he may be the one that is best positioned to defeat Donald Trump and that that is a hugely important characteristic for which they are looking their nominee to have, to possess. And so that makes Iowa all the more critical for Joe Biden, because if he loses Iowa, it will undermine one of his greatest strengths of that's sort of girding his candidacy which is he's the one that can win. Well, if Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg or Cory Booker, you name it, come through and win and Joe Biden ends up on caucus night a loser because I I think he's going to have a hard time even in a second place showing and we'll see, you know, margins matter and expectations and we're months away from sort of what those final expectations will be heading in. But if Joe Biden walks away with someone else being the winner, the one that can show that they can win, it really poses a very serious problem. It sort of thrusts a hole into one of his core strengths, which is this notion that he's the one that can win, win against Trump in the fall. But but this would sort of pierce that electability shine that he has. So that became very clear to me because so many voters you talk to in Iowa, they're very much shopping around. You ask them, who do they like? They've got a list ready to give you of two or three, maybe four people. And that is where a lot of the voters I spoke to are. Yes, you find some committed voters, but Many, many Iowa Democrats were saying to me that they are still very much shopping around. They like a lot of a lot of them. Again, that proves potentially dangerous if Biden comes up not winning the caucuses because you can sense that Democrats will will flood to someone that they think has the ability to win. And nothing gives voters what that means to them more than winning. 
I asked a lot of Iowa voters who told me about electability because we talk about it so much. It's in the polling that we see. And I'm just perplexed how voters are supposed to determine what it, who the most electable candidate is, who has the best chance of defeating Trump. What metrics do you use? How are you applying what is a critical question you have to these candidates in terms of obtaining answers, how you adjudicate who's more electable or who has a better chance of defeating Trump? There's a wide range of answers, none of which are sort of some solid math formula. And so there is a notion of fluidity in the race that may become very apparent once Iowa votes. I I just think it's going to do more to shape the outcome of this nomination race, the the caucus result, um, my guess is, than than a lot of uh, what we've seen in previous cycles. Now, we've seen frontrunners on the Democratic side fall back and then reemerge. I'm thinking of John Kerry, you know, but once he won Iowa, there was no stopping him, right? Once Al Gore won Iowa, there was no stopping him. Once Barack Obama won Iowa, I mean, Hillary Clinton may argue with this, but he was all of a sudden very much propelled on a path to the nomination. So it has always been a critical component, but I think it is it has the potential, should Joe Biden come up short, to deliver a mortal wound to his candidacy. A couple other observations and takeaways from Iowa that I want to share, and then I want to get to a quick conversation I had or a piece of the conversation I had with uh, the former Iowa Democratic Party chairwoman Sue Dvorsky and her husband Bob, a former state senator there in Iowa, a sort of power couple in Democratic politics in Iowa. You may have seen they endorsed Kamala Harris over the weekend, and while I think there is a tendency to overstate the import of endorsements, even this one included. These are clearly two very plugged in Iowa Democrats with tons of organizational hours spent in that state behind them, a real network of people who clearly do the work. They're just not an endorsement on paper. They are very involved in the campaign. So I'm going to get to that in a moment. But one thing I noted in Boone, Iowa, on Friday with Biden that I wanted to share, i No, it's a podcast and not a visual medium, but I was intrigued that in front of 125 or so Democrats, a pretty smallish event in the middle of sort of the Boone fairgrounds in front of a stable standing in a grass field. The way that the Biden folks had set up this event, the former vice president is behind rope and stanchion. He's standing at a lectern. He's got teleprompters in front of him. And this is just for his very usual stump speech about the stakes of the election and fighting for the soul of the country. And, you know, before 125 Iowa Democrats. But there's a real separation of him to the voters, which he works at the end to make sure that that separation disappears. He chats with everyone that wants to chat with him. He takes a gazillion pictures with everyone who wants one. He makes his way to you know, do that personal touch of, of of politicking that Joe Biden is famous for. But it is worth noting just the way that the event was set up, it formalized which what looked as if it would be a very informal setting, which I thought was intriguing. And in fact, one voter said to me after the event, she said she's like a retiree, 65 years old uh, from Des Moines, went up to Boone to see the event. She said she's still shopping around. She certainly thinks Biden has a good chance of defeating Trump, and that's important to her. But then she said it's it's an interesting approach he's taking. I said, what do you mean by the approach? And she said to me, well, this approach that he's already like the nominee. And that's sort of what the event felt like. And it, it just is not your typical five months to go in the caucuses, 
down home style event. It, it definitely had a little bit more of the formality that the vice president had probably as vice president, but is now not vice president is running his front running campaign for the for the nomination. There's been a lot of talk about his misspeaking. Obviously, it is not the norm for two statements to come out from a presidential campaign, a front running presidential campaign over the course of four days in Iowa that have to clarify the candidate's statement and say that he got something wrong. Uh, but voters really don't seem all that concerned about that that I spoke to. I know there are some quotes in newspapers today, but that concern exists much more in the political class among Iowa Democratic operatives and campaign folks and the like, wondering whether this means Biden doesn't have the endurance and maybe he's not the one best positioned to defeat Trump. But in terms of voters, they seem far more enamored by the idea and perception that they have that he is the best equipped to beat Trump, that I think th- there wasn't nearly as much concern, not palpable in any way among voters, that his misstatements amounted to a real danger at the moment for him. Two other quick notes, three other quick notes. We see uh, Buttigieg and Booker as sort of the performers of this field. We saw that on Friday night at the Iowa Wingding fundraiser up in Clear Lake. They were by far uh, the most impressive performers Friday night. 21 candidates spoke. They each got five minutes and, and they were the ones that just the crowd was super enthusiastic about, delivered really passionate speeches. In fact, this is the first time I've seen Buttigieg speak in a way where it really went from his head to his heart. Even though his words were the same, his stump was identical to what you hear, but it was the most passionate delivery I had heard from him. Booker, always successful at at riling up the crowd and really emoting, gave also a very impassioned speech on Friday night. So those two still have a lot of, you know, stump skills that I don't think should be overlooked as we head into this next phase of the Iowa campaign. Elizabeth Warren is all the buzz in Iowa among Democrats that I spoke to there in terms of her organizational strategy. Every Iowa Democrat that is sort of in the game of politics and operatives or campaign professionals would say that she is head and shoulders above organizationally anybody else right now in the state. And she's been doing this really smartly. Obviously, we'll see and others will catch up, no doubt, as they continue to invest in Iowa. But Warren right now has an operation that a lot of people are looking at as the kind of operation you need to run in Iowa in order to win the caucuses, Uh, finding Democrats from red pockets of the state, being having your lists, knowing your touch points for these voters and caucus goers and being able to activate them when asked to do so. This is all about the organizing, and and Warren seems to have that right now in a class of her own in Iowa. That could be critical because, again, if she emerges the winner in Iowa, that could really reshuffle the whole nature of this nomination race right now. And then finally... Kamala Harris had a pretty good week. I mean, she had did a five-day bus tour. You saw her in that third-place slot in the Monmouth University poll. She rolled out that first ad hitting that 3 a.m. agenda, uh, those items that we talked about last week on the podcast. She made a successful trip to the state fair. She even ate a pork chop on a stick for a little bit. And she got this big endorsement that any candidate uh, running in the Democratic side and I would want, Sue Dvorsky, her husband Bob, and I caught up with them at the Iowa State Fair on Saturday morning, hours after they had announced their endorsement of Harris. And I want you to hear a little bit of our conversation about the state of play in Iowa 
And uh, you'll hear the former chairwoman, Sue Dvorsky, former state party chairwoman, talk about what she had observed the night before at that wingding dinner in Clear Lake. And this talk of I asked her if indeed Kamala Harris has work to do to catch up in the organization battle in Iowa. Here's a little snippet of our conversation. Last night, you know, in the surf ballroom, like every one of them on their weakest day on their least prepared issue, you've got smart people who have deeply thought about this stuff. We we left there last night and it's just I know it's kind of dorky, but it is good to be a Democrat right now. It is good to be a national Democrat. We've got a voice. She her voice, I think he cut through the clutter. And do you think she has catch up work to do on organizing here that some others got started? a bit earlier or more? See, I don't think, first of all, the thing you can't make up on a campaign, you can't ever make up time. I don't think it's about catch-up work. She put on the ground here months ago. That campaign was opened up with Deidre DeGier. Deidre DeGier ran here statewide, and I'll tell you, people would follow her into traffic. She fills a room on her own. So the organizing... Everybody's ginning up. You know, it's you've done this before. <laughs> the three of us are not new to this. Um, it is the state fair. I think. Start focusing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the end of the beginning. Um, and not the beginning of the end, but it is the end of that first chapter. Uh, what happens next? The team that they've got on the ground is spectacular. She's spectacular. The, the pieces are in place, and people just get the work done. Our endorsement is is more important. This is Iowa. People don't care who endorses who. You know what I mean? Kind of. But what our endorsement can say to people is, you know what? People know we do the work. That's our, our gig. We've done it, and we're ready. You can be ready, too. Jump in. The water's fine. Make a decision. So there you go. Sue Dvorsky making the pitch for others to jump in and not stay on the sidelines. Now she's made her choice known. She's clearly going to do the work and try to convince Iowa Democrats to join the Harris effort. What is clear this week with Kamala Harris was she had put so much effort early on into South Carolina into really cultivating and and trying to campaign for African-American votes, obviously a critical constituency in a Democratic nomination race. But what you're seeing now is a real understanding of just how big a role Iowa's playing. Can't wait to get to the South Carolina contest where a majority of the electorate is African-American and then all of a sudden make your case in this race or then hoping that catapults you into your home state of California on Super Tuesday. It's just too long to wait for that fourth contest and then Super Tuesday. So Kamala Harris seems to understand that now going up on the air in, in Iowa, rolling out this endorsement, doing this river to river bus tour. And and you are probably going to see Harris lean in more and more to trying to build out Iowa, because if she can best expectations there, if she can have a strong showing there, you know, maybe she doesn't have to win it. Again, we'll see how the expectations game is placed on the eve of the caucuses. But if she can show real strength there, come out ahead of Joe Biden, perhaps, that would be an enormous booster candidacy. And I think that you see a strategic shift happening in the Harris campaign to really elevate Iowa as a part of the path to the nomination. That does it for this edition of The Daily DC. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again right here tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.